Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. Wednesday, August 3rd. Here we are on the doorstep of August Camp 2022. 48 hours from the time I am recording this, we will be out on the practice fields getting our first look at the full roster of Debo Sweeney's 14th team as head coach. Crazy. Paul Strilo and I will be out there all of camp and TigerIllustrated.com will be chock full of good info, intel, and observations for the next several weeks heading into the season. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 990 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Okay, to our conversation with Tavon Montz, former Clemson defensive back who is in a position of leadership at Clemson right now. And man, has he worked his tail off to get here. What a story of perseverance and determination to get to where he is now. Really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Here we go. Okay, joined by Tavon Motz, former Clemson football player, current Clemson graduate. How are you doing, sir? Man, I'm doing pretty good, Larry. How about yourself? Doing great. So I, I just was telling you before we before I hit record, I know very little about you, but sometimes that's a good thing in that it really helps uh, just me, helps me ask open-ended questions and, and share in the journey of various people uh, that we interview here. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you are the executive director for Momentum Bike Clubs, and yes. that is under the uh, Clemson's Park uh, PRTM Parks Recreation Tourism Management Program. Is that uh, I get everything right? Yep, yep, you got it. Okay, how can you tell me how long you've been in that role and how um, how you came to 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 get into it and and to to be in that form of leadership? Sure, man. So um, <laughs> it's it's interesting. I've been in this role um, as executive director effective June 1st of, of, of this year. Um, I've been with Momentum since December 2020. 
And uh, and when I first joined the organization, I served as the associate director. And the whole point of that role was to be groomed to be the executive director so that the uh, former director and founder of Momentum Bike Clubs, David Taylor, could retire and transition on. So it was understood coming in in December 2020 that what this role was for. And then basically at that point, I understood the assignment and that, you know, I, I really um, I really took the bull by the horn, so to speak, to learn the operations, to be in a position to successfully carry on the vision and the mission of momentum bike clubs so i sat i sat on the bench for a good you know going in and out the game so to speak uh for about about 18 months and it was an amazing experience um and i would not be sitting in this position without being in that role of associate director to learn all of the ins and outs the operations all of the logistics um frontline work everything to continue to serve and, and you know to continue to grow and, and to grow our team and our operations for those who don't know a lot about momentum bike clubs, including me, can you give okay. us the give us the rundown on what it is, um, sort of the mission, and, and all that stuff? Sure. So, so momentum bike clubs. Our mission at momentum bike clubs is to transform the lives of young people through a comprehensive youth development program. Um, and it's using the platform of cycling to foster and sustain mentoring relationships. So essentially, we are an after-school program that serves Greenville County and Pickens County. So our guiding principles is a growth mindset, uh, um, high expectations, integrity, and compassion. And we serve the under-resourced community within Greenville and Pickens County. What makes our program so unique is that most of our schools and our sites are along the Swamp Rabbit Trail here in Greenville. So it's easy access for our students and our teachers to get on the trail to have those rides together to foster those positive mentoring relationships. So um, with our our after-school program, um, the mentors are the teachers. So you may have this um, situation that happens more times than not. You may have, let's say, for example, um, Tony is uh, in class and his math class, and he's always falling asleep. He doesn't really pay attention in class. And the teacher is like, why is this student always sleep in my class? And he may just think they just don't care or they're not engaged, whatever. Come to find out, while you're riding on the bike with this student in the bike club, you learn that he is the oldest of eight siblings and he doesn't get to rest when he's home. So he comes to school to essentially rest because he's so burnt out from the situation that he lives in every single day. So the teacher riding with the student in the bike club gets the understanding and say, well, how can I help this student in another way? They're trying the best they can, but they literally come to school to rest because they have so much trauma going on at home. And in retrospect, there's this reciprocity because the student also learned that the teacher is a human being and they at one point was in high school or middle school. So the students say, wow, like Miss Smith is actually, she's really cool. Or, you know, Mr. Jones is a nice guy. Like he likes, he likes Clemson Tigers just like I do. Oh my gosh. Like he's cool. And then we've seen the improvement in the classroom, not just from the student improving in their morale and their confidence and also in their grades, but also from the teachers being able to assess that student in a different way outside the classroom to find more creative ways to support that student in the classroom. So our whole mission is fostering the mentoring relationships and the bikes is just a vessel or a tool that we use to create that sort of relationship. And it's all about, at the end of the day, the positive development of our youth. How did this uh, position, I guess, and, and, and mission come to be a part of Clemson University? 
uh, like I said, in the PRTM. Do you have any? Uh, do you have? Can you help explain that sort of in, in layman's terms, like just how they adopted that uh, that this initiative? Sure. So Momentum Bike Clubs grew out of a mentoring program in Clemson University's Institute of Family and Neighborhood Life, and it was called Building Dreams, and that was in 2010. So Building Dreams director, which is slash our founder, David Taylor, was approached by a team of leaders participating in Fermi University's uh, DLI program, which is Diversity Leaders Initiative. And the team named DLI uh, Delighted to Bike wanted to address the childhood obesity and take a holistic approach by also addressing self-esteem and relationships. So out of a series of meetings, that's how Momentum Bike Clubs was conceived. Interesting. And so you have an office at the university? Absolutely. I am in Serene Hall, room 223. How, uh, tell me what your, what your typical day is like. What, like, what do you do? So my typical day is always building relationships, always fostering relationships in terms of one thing. One thing that's really unique about the Greenville nonprofit community is that a lot of nonprofits, we work with each other because a lot of our missions align. So my day to day, my number one priority is making sure that my staff has everything that they need that they need in order for them to do their jobs. I'm very big on letting my staff have uh, have autonomy. As long as we have a plan and a mission, then I give them all the tools that they need in a system so that they can carry out their mission because at the end of the day, the students is what is what benefits from that. So my day-to-day will be connecting with folks via email in terms of partnerships, relationships, connecting with my staff to make sure that, for example, our logistics slash bike mechanic person have all the things that they need. Um, they have the correct budget. They have access to, to go purchase these certain bikes or these certain tools to make sure that my middle school coordinator has a relationship with their lead mentors and every single site and that they have every single thing that they need in order to to do their position with my uh, administrative assistant to make sure that we are keeping our books and our finances in line and our bills and and these different financial obligations that we have as a nonprofit organization and just constantly being a being a a, a, a sounding board for momentum being within the community meeting with other community leaders um, being a part of of a, of a different um, committee boards and, and sitting on different boards to always be an advocate for our youth and always trying to be visible within the community so we can always have a voice that will eventually help our students and our youth out in the long in the long haul. So it's just being sitting about 30,000 feet in the air but being able to see the whole picture and make sure that I support everybody and what they need in the best way that I can so they can be the best versions of themselves in, in their positions. And I guess you mentioned Swamp Rabbit. Uh, there's also a trail, a bike trail that connects easily in Pickens. And there's the Doodle Trail. The Doodle Trail, yeah. Um, and then here in Clemson, um, the, the Green Crescent Trail has been actively working. Chad Carson, who I guess you you, you know him because y'all played together, I think, yeah, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's that's my big brother. Yeah, Chad. Yeah. Uh, we we actually interviewed him on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago. We're just a super guy and a and a really um, uh, servant leader, I guess, in in yes. this community and in, in trying to um, make a way for for bike trails to be part of the infrastructure. Is that something that you uh, communicate uh, on as far as the the here in Clemson that that initiative or, or are are you attuned to that at all? 
So I have heard of that, but I haven't I haven't connected with that yet because we mainly operate, even though we are part, um, we are a uh, external program of, of um, part recreation tourism management at Clemson. We primarily operate remotely out of Greenville since that's where ninety five percent of students that we serve are located. Um, so so we're in proximity that way. Um, pro- pro- uh, proximity that way, excuse me. So with Pickens County, we do have three different sites in Pickens County. We have Easley, um, Gettys, Gettys Middle School, and they start on one end of the Doodle Trail. And then we have Pickens High School and Pickens Middle School, which start at the other end of the Doodle Trail. Um, so that is as close as we've got to Clemson so far, but we are in talks with different professors and other external programs within PRTM to see how we can possibly bring a bike club or start a bike club in Clemson and then utilize that trail in the area. And you said Chad's your big brother. What do you mean by that? So as Chad being my big brother, when I came to Clemson as a, as a freshman, I want to say Chad was either a junior or a senior. So when I say he's my big brother, that's in terms of football. You know, he was one of the leaders of our team that, 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 was, that, that showed the younger guys the ropes. He showed us how to be a Tiger. So when it comes to I always pay respect and always show homage to, to the older guys on our team when I first came, when we all do that, it's, it's just a, it's just a, I want to say a, a, a sacrificial thing, but it's, it's one of those things where you just pay homage to the guys who've been doing it and who do it the right way so you always give them their proper doing respect and Chad has always been a big brother to me anything I needed if I called on him I, he wasn't too busy or he wasn't like alright alright little guy you need to go over there and talk to defensive backs even though I'm a linebacker he was always he would always make time and have conversations so no, he's, that's why I say he's, he's my big brother I plead ignorance here unfortunately on, on recalling your career my first year uh, covering Clemson for the Charleston Post and Courier was 2004, which I guess was your senior year. Is that or your final year? I guess technically. Yes, yes, yes. That was that was our Peach Bowl year. Yeah. Well, the well, mm-hmm. 03, 03 was the Peach Bowl. Um, uh, the the not the nine win season when you uh, followed up the loss at Wake Forest by destroying Florida State, Duke, South mm-hmm. Carolina, and Tennessee, and then 04 was the. Uh, that was like that the was the six six and five. Yeah, the brawl here. Yeah, the brawl. Yeah. I look at I look at uh, the back of the media guide for uh, through, through you know the former player information, and it says two thousand one, two thousand three, two thousand four. Conspicuously absent is two thousand two. Can you give a refresher on what happened with with uh, Did you play too many snaps or something? Was was that what it was in two thousand two to to uh, too many snaps to to shirt? Right. So, so that was a, uh, that was a conundrum. I remember that year, um, in 2002, um, the, our head coach, uh, Tommy Bowden, the goal was to, well, the rule, if I remember correctly with the, with the, uh, with the NCAA was, um, if you play so many snaps past the second half, then you will have to red shirt. And that first year in 2002, I want to say the season opener was UGA and we went to UGA. Yep. And um, I forget how many snaps I played, but I remember vividly that um, Coach Dick took me out and I did not play in the second half. And I think during that year, I think the rules changed. So then I had to sit out and red shirt the um, 
the uh, the rest of the year. When it came to my last year, um, the NCAA said, well, that year counted, that first half counted as a whole year. So I essentially could have played, but, you know, our coaching staff was doing, they did what, what they were instructed. Okay, he's fine. We can redshirt him. He doesn't have to play this year, but then we come to find out my last year that that whole year did count. So that's why 2002, um, I, I, I didn't play. What is that like in 04, I guess, or maybe 05 when you when the reality hits that you only had three years in college? Well, the 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 thing about it is, man, I'm 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 my mindset is nothing happens to us, everything happens for us. Um so when that happened and I have to I have I had to hold myself accountable and, and the accountability of it is even if I was, even if they, even if I was granted that year, I wasn't academically um, eligible to play. My grades were too low. Mm. So even if I did have that year again, it it doesn't matter. So at the end of the day, I felt that the ball was in my court, and I didn't follow through on my commitment to Clemson when Clemson poured into me, and they gave me the the, the opportunity to uh, to go there and have that scholarship. So essentially, I was at Clemson for five years. I was there until spring two thousand six. So I was in college for that time period, but in terms of football, I did lose that year. And partially I saw the rule changing. Even if the rule did not change, I wasn't academically eligible to play football. So it was painful to see my brothers play um, and, and me not me not being able to play, but I did my best to continue to support the team. Um, and, and Clemson um, showed me grace and they and they didn't treat me like a like a distant stepchild. <laughs> um, and honestly, uh, that year, 2006, um, I even was able to um, train as an unsigned free agent for Romeo Cornell for the Cleveland Browns. But Clemson reached out to me. I hadn't played in a whole year. And they said, hey, they're showing interest. If you would like to start training and try to get in shape, take advantage of this opportunity, Tavon, we got your back. So I did that. So they, they Clemson never pushed me to the side. They always said, listen, this is an opportunity, but you got to do your part to take advantage of it. So um, I hold myself accountable for that, you know, being young and not really – looking at the grand scheme of things and how this could play out in the long run as opposed to next week or next month in that time period. But I didn't put in the work, so I took myself out of the game, essentially. How much does that perspective, sort of having been there and done that or failed that, I guess you could say, just as a young yeah. kid, like a lot of a lot of high school and college kids do, how much does that sort of frame your perspective for what you do now in in helping sort of pull kids out of tough situations like i've been there yeah so when it comes to that of course one of the things that a lot of students when they do find out and to be honest with you larry it's not one of the first things i say like i rarely tell the kids hey i play football at clemson because i don't want that to be what kind of hooked them in i want them to see me as, as a person say, I really can't connect with Tavon. And then as we have those conversations, then I'll say, well, once I learn what they're going through, then I can give them experiences that I've had personally, and it may involve football or not, that can give them some light and hopefully guide their way. And that's why I said earlier, I, I don't think that anything happens to us, everything happens for us. I'm very grateful and thankful for all of the hardship that I've had, whether 
whether I brought them on myself or whether they were put in my way to improve me and to help me level up as an individual, physically, spiritually, or mentally. Because I know that for me personally, if I don't go through, if I haven't been through situations, then how can I have experiences or have a testimony to possibly help somebody in the long run? Whether they choose to go through those situations or not, at least I could do my part in sharing whatever life experiences or life traumas I had and how I've overcome that adversity or if I'm still working on it, if I'm still working through it, we're all here. So I would say just personally, overall, um, and students, ironically, they they know that they know that they know they can they can smell real from a mile away Mm -hmm. and they can tell if you're just telling them what they think, what you think they want, they want to uh, they want to hear. Or if you really being honest and you being transparent with them and I'm all about transparency. So um I'm thankful for all the things that I've went through. Um, and if I could do it all over again, I would probably make the same decisions because having foresight now, I see where it's put me at. And, I, and I'm very humbled and thankful for the position that I'm in right now. Yeah, I was referring strictly to uh, about the academics, not the not the football thing when I said just oh, those okay. experiences, you know, you know, struggling academically and all that. Have you you mentioned uh, things happen for you not to you have you always had that perspective or is that something you have only now that that that, that you're a, a grown man and, and you have all this wisdom i've always had that always yeah. had that perspective larry to be honest um now did i always uh, apply it <laughs> <laughs> no um you know there's there's this thing uh for me personally is like you, we all know essentially what we need to do and what we're supposed to be doing or, you know, what's the right thing to do. But we all have, you know, a choice to decide to do it our way or do it the way that we know it needs to get done. And I always had that internal battle with myself younger. It's not that I didn't have the information. I just chose other ways and tried to do things my way. And then I ended up paying the consequences of trying to do it my way instead of doing what I, what I knew was the right way of doing things. So I've always had the mindset. I just didn't always apply it. Can you tell us about your decision to come to Clemson to begin with the recruitment, all that stuff, why you chose Clemson and, and uh, just what you saw in the football program when you were in high school and, and, and made that decision. Absolutely. So, so my high school story is, uh, is, is very interesting. Um, I went to two high schools and um, I was at a high school called Columbia High School, um, where also my teammate in high school was David Dunham. Um, and, and we played, we actually was in the, we was in, in the same class, um, class 2001. My junior year, uh, I transferred back home to Jacksonville, where I was born, to Reebok High School. And at Reebok, it was a class 2A, maybe. But at Columbia High School with David Dunham, we were 6A. So we had thousands of students that, that went to that high school. And when I was at uh, when I was at Columbia, and my father decided to send me back to Jacksonville, uh, hopefully for better opportunity, Clemson followed me from Columbia High School in Lake City, Florida, to Jacksonville. They they uh, they never wavered. It was Rick Stockstill was was my was my was my main um, liaison, and he is the man. I don't know if you you people oh, remember. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, Coach Stockstill. He's he's the man. So uh, Clemson was always just. I, I didn't know anything about Clemson to be honest. I, I knew about Alabama, of course. I wanted to be a Gator because I grew up in Florida. I hated FSU. Always, I was always a Gator. But there was just something about Clemson, and it, I always felt this family-oriented feeling. I felt like it was more than football. And when I tell you, Larry, that I that I was right. <laughs> 
I was right. It's, it's literally yeah. 20 years later, and I still feel like I can call anybody over there, and they would pick up the phone and say, hey, Moss, how you been? Come by sometime, hang out. It's, I've never been kicked to the side, so that, so that experience was very holistic. And then when I did the research on Clemson, I look up names like Brian Dawkins. I look up names like Patrick Sapp. Like the refrigerator, Kevin Youngblood, Rod Gardner, and all these guys are from my community in Jacksonville. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I know these guys. They went to Clemson. So that's what that Orange Paw is. And then when I went on my visit, I was like, no, nah, this is it. It was the only visit I took. It, it, I had visits to Florida lined up, visits to Miami, visits to Purdue, and visits to um, Virginia. But when I went to Clemson, I canceled all of them. I said, this is it. Did you have an offer from Florida? Or I guess mm-hmm. it did, did, it, did it get far enough in the process for you to get an offer from Florida? Yes, it did. You got an offer from the Gators, the Steve Spurrier, Florida Gators. The now, team- so Steve Spurrier, Steve Spurrier left, and it was um, Urban, I think Urban Meyer had just came in. Uh, Steve Spurrier, I think he left at that point and went to the Redskins before he went to, to the Gamecocks. But, yeah, it was because they, they had a gentleman – uh, what was this? That quarterback. His last name was Gannon or Cannon. He he, he had he had a heck of an arm. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Florida Florida was 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 it was in the running. But when I went to Clemson, it's just my spirit said, "No, nah, this is it." And and to be honest, I being from being from the state of Florida, any university for the most part that that you go to for me, it felt like I would have been in high school all over again. I was seeing the same people for the most part. Whether I went to Bethune, Fam, Miami, Florida, Florida State, it's literally like cousins and friends and family. And I've always been the person to go away from the norm. And I was like, I want to get far away from home to where I can still get to home, but I'm still far away to where this is new and nobody will be, um, you know, coming up this way unless it's family to come see me play or, or just to hang out. So I want to see something different. And I, you know, practically grew up a Gator, so I'm familiar with the campus and. I got to the point to where it just a light just switched, and I said, "I want to do something different." Wow! Yeah. So in in I guess the spring, winter, spring of of '03. This is this is a couple of months after the uh, Tangerine Bowl. I guess mm-hmm. that's. Uh, I guess we won't talk anymore about what happened in that game because it's kind of unspeakable. Yeah, no, nah, we're, nah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh still who you mentioned, uh, just a uh, just a revered presence among a lot of yeah. players. Just people just love him, and they still talk about him like that. Yeah. He decides to go to East Carolina to be the yeah. offensive coordinator, which had to have been a bit of a shock, just because uh, you know you just assumed he'd be around forever, and that and that it wouldn't be East Carolina that end up, you know. Uh, be in the school that he, that he left for. And then in comes this guy from Alabama named Dabo Sweeney that that nobody had, had ever heard of. He had been out of coaching for two years. I'm curious for your recollections mm-hmm. of that transition, not just Dabo coming in and what you thought of him, but the impact of, of Coach Stock leaving, just somebody that so many, so many players uh, just loved him. Yeah, so it was a lot of mixed emotions, you know. As 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 you know, um, the um, the stories are true. Like Coach Stockstill, even to this day, he's very revered. Like because we knew that it wasn't about football; that was part of it. But he really cared, and he really loved us, and loved on us, and and that feeling was very mutual, and it was reciprocated. So, having Coach Stockstill on the on the staff is 
<laughs> playing college ball sometimes can feel like it felt like a job, but he he kept it fun. You still felt like he was in high school or Pop Warner when he was around, and he was the wide receiver coach, and I and I was defensive back and uh, outside linebacker. So you know when we're going on seven on seven, I'm just talking jump to Coach Stock still. So he literally didn't really coach me, but I still had we all had that connection with him because he recruited most of us, especially the Florida guys. So when he left, yeah, we was you know it was kind of it was. I wouldn't say disappointing. Like, we were very happy for him because we knew that he deserved whatever he decided to do next, but we definitely missed him, you know, because of that connection. But then when Dabo came in, and I remember Coach Dabo came in, and he was the wide receiver coach and also the, I want to say, the head recruiting coordinator. And when he came on staff, he essentially is the same guy he is now. Maybe maybe a little bit quieter because, you know, they all pay respect to Coach Dodder, who was the head coach. But Dabo was the same personality now that he was way back then. The exact same person. Exact same person. So he hasn't changed. And that's, and that's one thing that we love and respect about Coach Dabo. Like, a lot of people that don't know him. They may seem like, you know, where they see the contract or, you know, the championships, but he is very consistent. And and that's why a lot of guys always come back to the to the program because he is that same person. So one of the major differences in comparing the program now and when you were here <clears throat> sort of infrastructure wise is back then. It's not like y'all ignored. It's not like they ignored the academic part. I mean, Vickery Hall was was a pioneer, sort of, sort yes. of in that in that realm. Yeah. But what they have right now, all the stuff that's available to them, the Paul journey is is seems to be such a uh, create such an impact, and and not necessarily academics per se, but in preparing yes. each one of these guys for the moment that football ends. You know, get get internships with Adobe and things like that, and learning how to you know, handle themselves in interview situations and such. And, and we haven't even talked about all the nutrition, uh, mm-hmm. all, all the, all the stuff over there at the Reeves center. I'm just curious for, as you sort of look at the differences, um, it's almost like, um, and some other players from your time have told me this. It's almost like back then players more of a commodity, uh, a disposable commodity and, and that, Hey, we want, you know, we want you to perform on the football field, but we don't really focus a ton on the other stuff. And now it seems like there is a great deal of focus on the total sort of holistic view of it, like the total man and person. Does that make sense? And is that something that strikes you as well as 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 being um, pretty dramatically different compared to when you were here? So, so I think it's all subjective, Larry. Uh, one of the biggest draws for me coming to Clemson was Victory Hall mm-hmm. because it was one of a kind. And um, and I think that if you was to ask the guys who were before my class in 2001, if they were to look back at the resources that we had when we came to Clemson, they would say, wow, you guys have Victory Hall. Yeah. You have nutrition. You have, wow, like you have all these things. You guys have a, they just built an indoor track, but now you guys get to use the indoor track for your facility. We had to practice in the rain. So, I, <laughs> so when, when we, when I came to Clemson, Clemson was top notch, like top five of the nation for facilities. And, and when it came to academics, nobody was better and being very intentional with giving all student athletes resources to be the best they can academically and athletically. So I think over time, Clemson, just like any other um, program, has just evolved with the times. And I dare say the resources that is awesome and amazing our student athletes and our football team has now 
that we had the same thing, but our version of that in my time in 2001. And they kept growing and growing over the years. And I really appreciate um, and my hat's off to the administration and the um, and the organization because they didn't just say, well, this is how we do it. We're going to do it this way. Clemson has always been able to see the grand scheme of things and try to be a leader or evolve with the times that best suit our culture and best suit our student athletes, all our student athletes at Clemson, because we all get to take advantage of those services. And uh, when I returned back to Clemson, I was able to take advantage of those tutoring, tutoring services as well, just like I did when I was at Victory Hall. Like you literally had, if you need a tutor for every individual class, they will assign you a tutor. They will have your whole itinerary for signing up for, for, for slots and have your room assigned. Like Victory Hall was a academic business. And a lot of our student athletes like Tony Elliott and Nick Easton, Easton, who's on the staff right now, two of my big brothers, they, and a lot of other, even Chad, even Chad, a lot of our football players specifically really excel academically and athletically because of Victory Hall and those resources that we had back then. So um, I, I understand the the uh, perspective of former players now looking back and looking at what facilities we have now and the mighty um, palace that our football <laughs> team has. But but for me, from my from my opinion and from my from my own perspective, I think that it's all subjective because back when I first joined, when I first came as a as a freshman in two thousand one. Um, Victory Hall and our facilities was it. Coach Batson and Coach Greenlee, they had our nutrition on point. Danny Poole had everything lined up. We had top-notch, um, um, a top-notch medical facility. We didn't, we didn't want for anything. That's a good point. Good perspective. You mentioned yeah. the, the, you mentioned the brawl. Uh, so I have to ask you, uh, can you put us, put the listeners inside your helmet and cleats? Where were you? What 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 was your sort of what were your movements during that whole thing? Just your recollections. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's just you'll never forget the the sort of tit for tat of that whole of that whole however long that lasted, fifteen right. or twenty minutes. So Larry, that was um. I, first, I never thought that we would um. Well, we technically the football team technically didn't, but the last thing that we thought when it when it all all the smoke cleared literally that um that we would um not go to a bowl game because we would have went to a bowl game four years in a row and as you know as you may remember we both both uh, schools had to win six games and that was our sixth win we weren't the best team that year but we got to six wins to become bowl eligible now um playing back <laughs> playing back that day starting coming at the top of the hill um, of course, you know, and we don't really like USC. <laughs> and that year, the team was a little bit grimier and dirtier than normal <laughs> um, for whatever reason. I remember Lou Holtz, legendary Lou Holtz, was their, was their head coach. And when we got off the bus, we were at the top of the hill, Larry. And we looked down. As usual, Coach Batson, Coach Greenlee, our strength conditioning coaches, they're in front of us. They're, they're beside us. We're at the top of the hill. We looked down. And we see USC come out to visit the locker room, and then they come to the end zone. And they're just sounding off. So we're looking at our coaching staff and our, and our um, strength conditioning staff like, y'all not going to move them guys out the way? <laughs> like, is anybody is the is anybody going to move them out the way? Because this is about to be a problem. So if you remember, if you, you may remember, they kind of held us at the top of the hill longer than normal. 
than, than usual. And for whatever reason, the security or USC staff couldn't get their players in line, so then they blew the cannon. We ran down the hill, and then it wasn't really a fight, but it was the first time in my four years at Clemson that two teams got that close and get in the way of our ritual, the the hottest 12, 15 seconds in all of college football, and they disrespect us like that. All right, cool. You know, it's a heated rivalry. We all know what it is. Let's go to the sideline, play the game. So we're beating their behind. We're watching them, like, you know, like we normally do for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and then the quarterback, I remember the quarterback, I think he got sacked. Uh, it's on YouTube, but I don't think that we did anything dirty to him. But you can kind of feel the energy on the field all day long. And then they jumped up, and then all of a sudden, they just cleared their whole sideline just cleared, and they went on the field. So we have our 11 guys on the field, our brothers on the field, and then half of their whole bench is out there. So we're looking at coaches and our staff like, Yo, like we like we about to go out there. No, don't go out there. Don't go out there. But the USC staff and the security just could not get their guys in line, and they got worse. So at that point, we said bump it, and we just left the bench. <laughs> so for me, I remember going out there, and and when I went out there, it was so much going on. I came toward the middle or the latter part of it. So we already had our guys who was in proximity to it going at it. So it wasn't like I, well, a lot of people talk about it. They talk about like as if every single person on the team was fighting, and that wasn't true. It was a few isolated fights, and you know, as the the famous, the infamous pitcher with a uh, with a uh, Yusuf Kelly took the helmet off. I remember he threw that helmet. <laughs> <laughs> He threw the helmet into the stand of where we normally have our recruits sitting. And I don't know how many recruits committed to Clemson from that game, but I know we had a lot. So I remember security trying to find the helmet in the stands to get them to throw the helmet back down. They didn't want to let the helmet go. I mean, it was... I don't advocate for those kind of fights and brawls to ever happen, but the fact that it did, it was pretty legendary. It was pretty legendary in terms of just... Of, of of just the two, it, there was not good sportsmanship, but in just in terms of these two rivalries getting to that boiling point, it is something that is kind of a stain in our history book in terms of sportsmanship. But um, but just in just enjoyment of rivalry and sports, it is one of those things where you can kind of look at it as yo, that was like we would never forget that day. And I didn't get any punches in. I'm not going to sit here and I'm like a tough guy. And you can actually see the fan where I'm trying to get in there, but there's always a security guard or somebody kind of catching me by the pads and kind of <laughs> swinging me the other way. So if you guys look at the film on YouTube, you see 23, you see me trying to get in there, but I did not. I'm not going to sit here and say I was throwing punches and I, I wasn't. I tried, but I just couldn't get in there. It was a lot of people on that field and it lasted for a good minute. And then we had to finish, I think it was maybe five, four or five, maybe six minutes left in the fourth quarter. So we had to finish it out, but I just remember vividly that USC um, just had a very hard time controlling their players. They just kind of did what they wanted to do on our home field, and we wasn't going to allow that to happen, especially for our, our brother's safety. We're not going to be outnumbered uh, 45 people against 11 of our guys. And then your boy David Dunham opened that game with that unforgettable hit on the on the kickoff uh, coverage of, I think it was Corey Boyd, maybe? I was right. I was right by him when it happened. Yes. 
He took his head off. And that, <laughs> and that, but see, that, see, David is one of the best tacklers that I've ever seen in my life. He's always been that way since high school. Very fundamental. And just like the way he took out Matt Ryan, yeah. like he's always had these, these haymakers. And it just like, like writing a book on how to take somebody's head off legally in terms of football. <laughs> um, so when he did that, that was also a byproduct already adding into the fact that it's USC and that's our last game of the year it's rivalry and what's on the line for us to get to a bowl game. But when that when that first semi-disrespect happened, we ran down the hill, oh, that's all the fuel David needed. It doesn't take much for him <laughs> to take off on somebody. So when that happened, he's like, all right, I got it. I got it. And uh, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but somehow he beat that wedge. And when he got in there and just laid him out, <laughs> it was a long day for USC that day. And I think another part of it was, uh, I believe, either the night before the game that came out that Holtz was done. And so, mm. you know, when you got a team of players who just heard they, that their coach is on the way out, then that really adds, I think, to the to the uh, a, a crucial ingredient to the well, we can do whatever the heck we want to do. That's a great point. You know, I forgot about that detail that did come out. Um, we did not expect that they would do what they did because, I mean, honestly, there is a certain level of um, of, of being able to self-regulate yourself because it's it's, football is a, is a high emotional game. So rarely do you see a team just say bump what the coaches say. Like there's there's just this there's just this healthy border of you do what the coaches say, no matter how much emotion you have. But we was not expecting them to do what they did. But you're right, Larry, that I'm pretty sure that played a, that played a part in why they did what they did. Like bump it, why not? You mentioned Dabo, as everybody knows, just a truly unique presence. Um mm-hmm. he had so many qualities that allowed him to to, to build bridges and and to to basically get everybody on board before they started winning big um that stands in contrast to tommy bowden who just you know just a different dude um i'm yeah. curious uh, what, what what did you think of of tommy bowden when you were when you were like what what were some of his stronger qualities in your mind and, and what was your overall opinion of him when you played for him Man, I listen. I, I still, I still chime in with Coach Bowden every now and then to the day on Facebook, and he's still the same guy as well. And and a lot of people, you know, um, try to contrast and compare um, Dabo to to uh, to uh, Coach Bowden. But Coach Bowden, he was a very faith based man, just like just like Coach Bowden. Coach Sweeney, but he he was he was more of a private guy, and of course, social media was different back then. I think social media was just born at the latter part of the maybe like twenty. I think Facebook was created two thousand three, two thousand four, and it was still taboo. So there wasn't that much media outlets in terms of the internet outside of you know newspaper or Tiger Illustrated or you know what. I don't think even podcasts was a big thing back then. Man, just radio. So it, so Coach Byron was was more reserved, but. He was the kind of individual that his door was always open and you can have very candid private conversations with him and you would know that those conversations wouldn't go further than that. And he really cared and he really he really cared about our spirit and making sure that he was um, raising um, young men who were going to be great men in society. And and he, he's just one of those individuals where he wouldn't give up on people. 
And 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 that that's the thing that I really appreciate most about about Coach Bowden. I didn't compare him to to, to Bobby Bowden to his father, who's legendary. And we have the same birthday, even though I, again I did not grow up a uh, a uh, no fan. But Coach Bowden, when he came and, and when he sat down with with my family and I we really felt that he cared and it wasn't about football. You know, football played a big part of it, but he also was, he also made a commitment to my parents and he followed through on his end, even though I did it in terms of like he had, he would, my dad and my mom could call him at any time and he would stop what he was doing and have a conversation with them. Mm. And, and that is not a normal thing for a college head coach. So I really appreciate the fact that he followed through with what he said. He, he was a man of his word, and he always did the best he could with, with you know, with what he knew how how to do things. So I'm I'm always always appreciate Coach Bond because he also gave me the opportunity um, to play for Clemson University, and and I'm just also I mean he's just he's just somebody that I just always appreciate. Like he was my head coach. And, uh, go ahead, Tony. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. No, you're fine. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, if you want to finish the thought, I yeah, see. no, I, I, I was just gonna say, yeah, he's he's. Um, I have I have personally a lot to thank Coach Biden for because you know I was literally on academic probation since my freshman year, and he never gave up on me all the years I was there while I was on academic probation. When you so you mentioned academic parts, I know so many players nowadays, and one of the fears of out there that, that that are out there in this era of you know transfer portal and uh, nil basically what's becoming pay for play essentially is you know dab one of dabo's big concerns is 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 what it's going to do uh to the to the to a lot of these kids uh, academically in that they're not uh, a lot of them are going to get their degrees now by virtue of of these circumstances and a lot of players as you know um you know, like ninety-eight percent of them are not going to end up in the NFL, right? But ninety-eight percent of them probably get to college thinking they're going to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Was the was that part of your mindset as you uh, sort of more casual, didn't really care about academics? Is that I don't care, I'm I'm, I'm going to go to the league, or was it something else? Why, uh, as you look back, why do you think you you had such a difficult time with the academic part? So for me, um, Larry, it wasn't about going pro at all. Um, I come from humble beginnings. My mother was a teacher. My dad was a firefighter, and I grew up on a farm. So for me, I just wanted to go to college, and I wanted to get my degree, which which my only regret in life was not getting my degree because I did the work in terms of putting myself in a position to earn a full scholarship, but I didn't follow through on the one thing I wanted in my life as a young man at that point. It was never about the NFL. I, football... I enjoyed. I love the game. I love my. I love the camaraderie and being around and being around my guys and building this relationship. But this was my tool to graduate from college, let alone Clemson University, and I dropped the ball on that. So, and when it came to to, to academics, I was never a straight A student, which is also funny because I feel like. I put a ceiling on my on myself, and everybody saw that I was capable, but I didn't see it in myself in terms of academics. Um, and I, and, and it wasn't because I wasn't capable. I didn't apply myself and I wasn't the best note taker. I wasn't, I didn't know that there was an art 
to school. There's a way to study. There's a way to recollect things. There's a way to take tests. I wasn't a great test taker. I didn't have the best study habits. Um, and when I got into college, it was go time. It's um, Victory Hall and my mentors and tutors did the best they could to catch me up to speed. But I just... I just couldn't click. And by the time it clicked, it was too late. I had dug a hole that was too deep, Larry. So for me, as I said earlier, whenever um, Coach Bowden came to me and said, hey, you know, Romeo Cornell, they want to they want to see you, you know, possibly give you a shot as an unsigned free agent. I was like, OK, cool. I, I, let me try to get in shape in, in, a, in a couple of months and try to take advantage of that opportunity. But I wasn't seeking it. I want to get I wanted to graduate from college. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. If you're in the eastern midlands and pd area and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home commercial property land need to consider reaching out to uptown realty they're based out of sumter and run by a friend of mine patrick enzer big clemson guy used to cover the tigers in a newspaper capacity longtime supporter of tiger illustrated longtime listener to the dubcast the home buying process should be an enjoyable experience so let patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting all you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to uptownrealtysc.com When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. After football, you were on campus as a student in 05, 06 for two full years? For one year, yes. Okay, one year. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. And yep. then you uh, then you, you left without getting your degree. I mean, obviously, you came back in 2019 uh, and got your degree. What happened after, after 06? Uh, uh, just tell, sort of t- chart your journey from there. Sure. So... Um, in 06, I went to I went to Cleveland. They, they flew me out, um, and I and I tried to get in shape uh, the, the the best I could. So uh, when I went to Cleveland, I was up there as an unsigned free agent, and I didn't make it through mini camp. I actually I remember sitting down um, with um, uh, what's the gentleman? I forget the gentleman's name. He he was at Clemson. It was it was an older um, it was an older uh, gentleman, but. Um, he, he sat me down his office. He said, Mons, we love you. We love your tenacity. You have great fundamentals, great skills, but you're just not in shape. And as a business, we just can't afford to pour resources into you. But we got guys coming from these um, college bowls ready to go right now. I hope you understand. I said, absolutely, I understand. So came back home. I came back to Clemson. But at that point, as I said earlier, uh, my scholarship ran out. So I was academically, you know, I, I literally flunked out. And when I left Clemson to go to the Cleveland Browns, I wasn't aware, again, being young, that I needed to withdraw from my classes 
So in 2019, real quick, when I came oh, back, man. yeah, so I'll, I'll circle back when I come back to 2019, but I didn't withdraw from my classes. So every class from that spring semester in 06 became an F. Oh, man. Wow. Which hit my GPA, of course. So I go home and I find out that my dad has colon cancer and we have different, um, we're a, a, a first generation black farmers who own our um our different land properties throughout south georgia and north florida so when i came home i was like okay well maybe maybe i'm going to continue the legacy of, of my father and you know become a firefighter become an emt and and while he had cancer i was like okay let me take care of the properties and uh, by the grace of god my dad survived cancer he's cancer free to this day wow so cool yeah yeah so um and he's and he's my role model. Like he's he, he he's my everything. So to see him at that weak state, I said I got to do something. I got to pour into my family. No college degree. I'm gonna figure this out. So once um, he he goes into remission, then I said, okay, all right. Well, um, let me try the fire department. So I go to the fire department as a firefighter cadet, as an EMT, and um, I got to the point, Larry, where I felt that I wanted to help people before they had to call nine one one. I wanted to help people in a proactive way, but I was also in a place to where I needed money. And I need and I figured if I can get on with this with this occupation and I can ride this out, then you know I have a pension, you know I have stability, all those things, but it just wasn't for me. And I've always been the kind of individual to kind of the kind of um go to the beat of my own drum. And if something doesn't feel right in my spirit, I just can't commit to it. So at that point, I was in Jasper for two years, and then I remember being very depressed. And then it was about two o'clock, two or three o'clock in the morning one night. And I had a dream and my spirit said, you need to go to Atlanta. And I was like, how? Like, I don't have any money. I, bro- I left the fire department, so I'm, I'm not doing anything at this point. And I said, how, how am I going to get to Atlanta? And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do it. When I woke up from that dream, my best friend called me three minutes later. I remember vividly. And he said, hey, bro, I just had a dream that you live in Atlanta. <laughs> and I bust out crying. And I said, man, I just woke up from a dream that said that I lived in Atlanta. And he said, I'll be there tomorrow. So he comes to Jacksonville, get my clothes, you know, my, all my little stuff. I didn't have, I had an apartment that had no furniture, you know, just, just slumming it out. And then brought me to Atlanta. And then I stayed in the attic of one of my um, teammates, Chris Russell, who actually became number 23 after I left the program. Yeah. And, and he was in Douglasville, and, and we're still good friends to this day. And then he helped me get a job at a bank, as a bank teller in a grocery store in Douglasville, Georgia. Don't have a car. I'm staying in, in, the, in, the, in the attic with his, with his family and, um, and just trying to figure this thing out. You know, fresh start, really not, not too many resources. So after a couple of years of working with the bank, um, I said, you know, I want to do more. I, I want to... Like I want to create some kind of stability. And mind you, in my head, I don't have a degree, so my options in my head is very minimal. So I ended up going to Waffle House. And then with Waffle House, they said, you know, to be a manager, you have to have a college degree. And I said, well, I don't have a degree. And they said, well, do you plan on getting it one day? I said, yeah, I do. And they said, okay, well, you know, you're hired. I did not know and was not prepared mentally that Waffle House is like the Marines <laughs> of the restaurant industry. And I was with Waffle House for seven years. And I was blessed to move up to a district manager in two years to where I had three waffle houses within the area of South Atlanta, Stockbridge area. For those listening familiar with Stockbridge area um, and, and, uh, and all of that. So 
while I was doing that, fully committed, I want I, I said, I'm going to retire from from Waffle House. And when it came to that, I didn't have a healthy work life balance. As you know, Waffle House we never closed. Um, every holiday, we work and fight to make sure that our units stay open. And especially if there's, if there's any kind of tragedy to the country, we stay open no matter what. We have to run generators on the units. We're going to be open. Um, so I kind of got burnt out. And it's a business for profit, but I always poured into my staff because my staff were the individuals who needed other opportunities. I didn't want you to stay with Waffle House forever. I wanted to help you grow to the point to where you can get other opportunities to level up outside of Waffle House. Um, so I did the best I could with that, but I still felt like my spirit, I wasn't, my spirit just wasn't happy. So after seven years, I had, I had retired from Waffle House, and then I went to the Marriott Marquis, which is the largest hotel in the, in the state of Georgia, uh, 1,663 rooms, and I was the department head over the restaurants on the property. Um, still didn't have a college degree, but that job required a, a college degree. But my experience with Waffle House greatly helped me to earn that position. While doing that, for a year, I still did not feel fulfilled in my spirit that I wasn't pouring into people. It was about making the money, which I understand it's a business. And ironically, Larry, that year, 2018, Clemson came and, that, and, and the Marriott Marquis is also where we stayed for the Peach Bowl in yep. 2000. We stayed, and that's where I first learned about the hotel was then. So that's why I went there first. I know Marriott Marquis. Let me see if I can work it. That'd be cool. So I was successful there. And then Mike Dooley came into my rest, one of my restaurants. And I knew Clemson was coming in town because Clemson was staying there for, they're playing Georgia Tech. And, um, let me see. It was Kelly was the quarterback. Kelly and also Bryant. Kelly Bryant and um and uh Lawrence was, yep. was the quarterback. So the everybody in the hotel knew that I went to Clemson, but nobody knew I didn't graduate and word got around our place. So they figured, okay, Clemson's coming to town. Let's just see if if he's telling the truth. Like, you know, anybody can lie. Yeah, I, I played for Alabama, <laughs> UGA, you know. But I wasn't big on, you know, yeah, I played for Clemson, you know, love me. I did I I didn't want people to, to really know that because I wanted to, you know, to get to know me. So when Clemson came to town, all eyes was on me, of course, from the whole hotel. Mike Dooley comes to my restaurant. And he's like, Marks, is that you? And I was like, what's up, Mike? He's like, man, what's going on? And I think at that point, I think he may still be in that same position. He's over like the director of like travel for the team or whatnot. So when he came into the restaurant, and I think he was a graduate assistant when I was undergrad, um, he sent out a text to all of the staff at Clemson. And he said, okay, everybody knows that you're here. See you later, gotta go, boom, and left. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on, Mike. Gotta go, gotta go, got meetings. <laughs> all right, cool. All of a sudden, maybe a couple of hours later, I start seeing orange jackets go toward the, I knew that they was getting ready to do chapel and get ready to eat and, and do meetings the same way we did when I played. All of a sudden, I hear, Mons, is that you? And I look up and it's Coach Sweeney, Coach Dabo Sweeney. And I was like, what's up, Dabo? Now, I wasn't expecting him to do that. I haven't seen him since 2005, 2006. So he introduced me to Trevor Lawrence, he introduced me to Kelly Bryant and, and the other guys at that time. And he was like, hey, this is one of our guys, you know, him and his and him and his brothers are your brothers are the reason, part of the reason why we're at where we're at today. So he introduced me to the guys. And then I said, Dabble, it was good seeing you, man. Gave me a big old hug. And I sent him on his way. I know they have itinerary. Then I started seeing um, Coach Batson, my strength conditioning coach. 
Coach Benson. I saw Coach Greenlee again. I saw Danny Poole. I saw Abe. I saw all these guys that were there when I was there. And I was like, man. And then they said, Tavon, you want to come to chapel with us? I was like, yeah. So I went to chapel with the team. I ate with the team. I, it just, it was just amazing to see the guys all over again. So go past that. 2019, I decided to leave Marriott. I just wasn't happy. And my wife said, listen, um, why don't you go back to Clemson and why don't you finish your degree? And I was like, how? Like, we we don't have the resources. Um, the classes are not online. And I would have to commute back and forth to uh, Clemson to be in class. I, 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 and my GPA, I'm pretty sure it's pretty low. I don't know what my GPA is, but I know it's, it's, it's not looking too good. She said, well, pray about it and think about it and then let me know what you want to do. I said, okay. So I did. And my spirit said, go to Clemson. So I came to Clemson and I said, hey, you know what's going on? I reached out to the um to the football administrative department. You made do you do you know Ren? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Ren Wyndham. Okay. Yes. That Ren is the individual who's dear to my heart. She always, always reached out to me throughout all these years to make sure that I was okay and always said, Tavon, come back home. We ain't seen you in a while. She was the one that always reached out to me and made sure that I was okay, even though I was embarrassed because I didn't graduate. She didn't care about that. And just like the rest of the, of the administrator didn't, but I assumed that they did. So I came back and I talked to her and then um, I said, listen, I want to, I want to, um, I want to finish my degree, but I don't know where to start. So then she said, well, you started talking. You need to talk to Coach Sweeney. And I was like, I don't want to bother him. You know, like he's busy. She said, "She said, okay, well, reach out to him. So I reached out to him, and he was like, hey, Mons, how you doing? That's great to hear. You need to go to the end zone, and you need to go speak with, with these individuals. So when I went to the end zone, that's my first time in the, in the West Zone, and I saw that Victory Hall was literally <laughs> in the end zone now. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, this is nice. So while I was there, then that's whenever the academic, the um, athletic academic department said, well, Mots, your Jeep, hey, glad to see you, man. And a lot of administrators with mentors are still there. When I, when I was there, they said, good to see you. Your GPA is a 1.63. So we understand. Oh, mind you, I got married in 2019 as well. And I left Marriott in 2019 and then went back to Clemson in 2019. So a lot of internal pressure as the head of my household. I got to figure this out. I don't have three years to finish this. I need to do this in a year. And they said, well, you can do it in a year, but you got to make straight A's <laughs> for a whole year, um, fall, spring, and summer. Just and to get to might, a 2.0. You might get to a 2.0 because it's the, the issue isn't the classes that you took. It's the grades that you got on, it's, it's especially that last semester in 2006, when it was straight else. Wow. I said, okay. I said, okay. I said, um, I said, I can do this. Larry, I've never made straight A's in my life. Now I'm a nerd. I love trivia. I could tell you all kind of stuff. I so it's it's just I wasn't confident in how I went about learning in class. But at this point, it's my back against the wall. I don't have any other choice. So the main the na- number one fear I had in my life, I had to deal with it head on to get my degree. So I got a second opportunity to make this happen again. I'm not dropping the ball this time. Bump that. Whatever I got to do, however I got to do it, I'm going to do it. So they said, all right, cool. So sign up for classes. Um, and I commuted from Atlanta in fall 2019. I came, depending on my schedule, two to three times a week. 
And then Clemson Athletics also said, Marsh, if you need to use our mental, our tutors, you're more than welcome to sign up for tutors for whatever classes you need. Our resources are yours. You're, you're good to go. I was not expecting that. And I, and I was in, every time I got done with class, I was in the West End Zone for hours with different mentors and tutors. And then I would drive two and a half hours back to Atlanta. I would leave when it was dark and I would come back to the wow. city when it was dark. Whatever it took, it did not matter, Larry. I'm going to get my degree this time. I'm not dropping the ball. Fall semester, president's list, straight A's. Clemson was like, mm, well done. Okay, he's not messing around. All right. Spring semester comes, COVID hits. And I'm like, okay, well, this was this was a good run. Um, it's probably over. Because we, no, we didn't know what, what this thing was going to look like. We yeah. heard rumblings that the nation may shut down, school may shut down. We don't, uh, it may not happen. Then we all got the email, don't come back to Clemson, we're shutting down. So I was like, oh, well, this, this is a wrap. This is not going to work. And then all of the classes started to become available online. Clemson made it work like other universities. So I said, I can still continue on. And because of the pandemic, um, if you made, you had the option of picking which one of your grades would affect your G, would count against your GPA. And that was huge because I didn't make straight A's my um, spring semester. I made the dean's list. So I made the dean's list and then summertime comes. Clemson, it was known in, in the in the newspapers that Clemson um, was on a hiring freeze and they had to do a lot of furloughs. So I was like, again, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, I got to finish John's last semester. I got a call from Clemson. And I was like, this is it. They're probably telling me this is a wrap. Don't come back. And they said, Mons, you've been doing an amazing job. President's list, um, dean's list. Um, we are going to award you the Tiger Trust Scholarship for your summer semester. Wow. Finish strong, Tavon. We'll 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 um we'll see you in August when you graduate. And when I tell you I bust out crying, Larry, mm. like I fell to my knees, my wife and I bust out because we didn't know why Clemson was calling. And I got awarded the Tiger Trust Scholarship um my um summer semester of 2020. Finished and made presence list, and I graduated August 7th, 2020, with my bachelor's degree in parts recreation tourism management. So when that happened, at that point, I said, now I finally have, I felt personally that I had leverage in my life again. Not that you need a degree to have leverage, but it does help. Everybody's walk is different. But for me and for what I wanted myself, because of the help of my wife and because of support of Clemson University, I was able to accomplish this goal. But now I have the autonomy to choose what I'm going to do next. And I did not want to do anything in I wanted something that poured into the community that I was trying to do in these other organizations that I was blessed to work in that required a college degree. So that is when I ran across Momentum Bike Clubs. My wife and I constantly rode the Atlanta Beltline, for those that know about that, uh, in Atlanta. We actually did our engagement shoot on bikes. So, <laughs> you know, so I'm not a cyclist that I ride 100 miles, but, you know, casually, leisurely, yeah, let's, let's, let's ride. Let's ride, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles. Let's, let's see what the wind takes us. Why not? So I was like, it would be cool if I ran across something that involves cycling that poor and that did, that with mentoring um, uh, people of color or students and youth in under-resourced communities in Greenville. 
Like, why not? My wife, even though she's from Atlanta and she's a Georgia Tech grad, house divided. Yes, it is a house divided, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and she was born and raised in Atlanta and she was with, um, you know, she she was with Delta, but she enjoyed Greenville because she said, you know, we could, I can see us raising a family. This is a beautiful city. Like, I said, you like it? She said, I love it. I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. And then to even sweeten the pot, Larry, um, that is when I found out that after, um, earning the opportunity to serve with Momentum Bike Clubs, that it was a part of Clemson. I didn't know that. So it came around full circle when I graduated that now my professors and my mentors and advisors uh, when I was an undergrad were now colleagues and we worked together on the same mission. And that is when I came across, of course, as you know, um, the amazing Dan Anderson. And he, I just, I enjoyed his classes the most um, because, again, like you and I was talking about earlier, he he doesn't want the right answer. He wants to know what you think. Explain your ideology. Explain why you came to this conclusion. And for me, that's how I operate. I don't always find the correct right answer, but I can break down to you how I came to this conclusion. And that's how he challenges people in general, not just his students, but also in regular day-to-day conversations. Like, like help me understand how you came to that point. So, and him and I, we have a great relationship. So that is how I transitioned through going back through Clemson to earn my my bachelor's degree. And that's how I ended up with Momentum Bike Clubs. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Dan's as well, but not for his teaching, but for his cooking. He's a great cook. I don't know if you've ever... I've heard of that. I've heard of that too. You got to have his wings, his pizza, all the above. But man, I, I... I have so many questions after that. Uh, the main one is, I, I'm, well, I guess it's not a question, but I wish I could go back in time and spend a day in the life with Tavon Motts at a, as a Waffle House manager. Wow. I mean, I, I just can't imagine what that is like. Man, uh, I can tell you that briefly right now. So it starts at 5 a.m. Um, and the, the shift starts at 7. So the main thing with Waffle House for any manager is being staffed. And you want to make sure that you have your people available or staff available that is what I, at that point, I call it lifers, that you know they will show up no matter what. You can depend on them. Because if you don't, then you as the manager have to do their role on top of doing your management job. And one of the unique things about Waffle House is that as a manager, mind you, just a unit manager, not having three different units, but being a manager, you're not just in the office just running numbers and making sure that the commissary is filled with the right goods and and all those things. You don't ever really do emails. You're on the grill cooking. Actually, you are the best cook in your unit is the unit manager. So you have to be very good with time management to be able to cook the orders, know when the rushes are, make sure your team has great morale. Everything is going 100 miles per hour. But for me as a former student athlete, this is my wheelhouse. I love this rush every single day. So I was always very empowering. I tried to make the work fun because it was hard work. And um, so I always tried to have that engagement with with our uh, patrons because they could go to any Waffle House on any exit right the street. When I was a district manager, I could literally stand on the roof of one of my Waffle Houses and look across the highway and see my other store right down on the other side of the highway. So it was very competitive, but I always enjoyed trying to 
poured back into the community through my resources at Waffle House. Did a lot of catering at different schools, at car dealerships, at Georgia State University for the incoming freshmen. It'd be like 1,500 students. We would set up a line where we feed them and their parents as they went up to their dorms. Like Just being very creative because Waffle House is the mainstay in Atlanta. So I just wanted to always try to take advantage, take advantage of creating opportunities for my associates to get out of the unit to, to so that when people come to the unit, they look for you. So that can increase your pay because there's only so much that I can pay you because you make your money through tips. But I was a very energetic, um, positive attitude. Let's work hard. Let's, 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 let's get it in type type of individual. But, um, not for doing that at a high level for so long, it will burn anybody out. Um, so, but I really did enjoy. It. And again, it was, it was a good foundation. I started growing up, growing up on the farm to, to my work ethic. And um, again, it was the Marines of the restaurant industry. So if you can be successful at Waffle House, you can damn near be successful anywhere. What was your worst day on the job in all those years working for Waffle House? Ooh, Woo. the worst like, day. What, is that, what does it look like, uh, and what did it look like for? Mm. for you? I had a few of them, so <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm, try, I'm trying to think which one is a is a is a pod, is a podcast, okay? Because um, it's it's real it's real life things, and you're dealing with with real individual with real problems. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm. Well, I would say one of the most unusual stories um, because some of some of those hard days were very graphic. Um, but I would say one of the most unusual days is I get a call. So every Friday and Saturday night, the unit manager has to go back and do what's called draw change. So the shift changes at 9 p.m. every single day. But on the weekends, Friday and Saturdays, it's normal. Normally, it's, it's a higher, you know, higher um Hard traffic. So you need to go back to the unit around about 7 30, 8 o'clock, make sure that your staff, make sure they have all the change they need, make sure they have all the food from the commissary they need because they don't have access to the commissary or access or access to the money. So when you leave, you want to make sure they're set up for success for the whole night until you come back at 6 a.m. So I had a draw change. Regular draw change. I had a solid crew. They came in on time. They're ready to go. It was the it was the pre-party crowd. We're we're cranking it out. We're pumping. I'm on the grill while they get set up. Pass it over. All right. See you guys in the morning. Call me if you need anything. But I was like, this should not be a reason that you guys call me anyway. But if you do, I'll be here. All right. Go home. Go to sleep. I get a call. And it's always the weirdest things happen between two and four a.m. for some odd reason. That's just the time where people, where things want the weird things want to happen. I get a call at two thirty a.m. I pick up the phone. I was like, "Is everything okay, Mister Tavon? Mister Tavon?" I was like, "What's going on?" There's a there's a horse in the Waffle House. <laughs> I said, "What?" I'm not lying. There's a horse in the Waffle House. <laughs> if I get out my bed. <laughs> And put on my clothes and put on my shoes and drive to the unit. And if I don't see a horse in that unit, I'm firing the whole staff. This is not funny. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna. Is there a horse in that in, in that unit? Oh, my children! There's a horse in the unit. I'm on the way. <laughs> Now I've seen some unusual things, so I didn't 
not believe them, but I felt like, okay, a horse, I grew up on a farm, I know the size of horse, a horse is like, you know, so if a horse is in that particular unit, people are in danger. It can kick anybody, and that's just lawsuits waiting to happen. Like, if it if it does happen, because it's Waffle House, you know, things happen. I pull up to the unit. I don't see a horse. I'm pissed. <laughs> I storm in the unit. I come in the unit. And I see this crowd at the low counter. And then I said, what's going on? And then they said, look. And they point at the low counter. The crowd, the crowd spread apart like the, red, I'm sorry, like the Red Sea. I go to the low counter, and there is a miniature horse eating a waffle. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> I was so nonchalant about it. My staff was scared because they thought I was pissed. When I saw that, you know, like, you know, like the the uh, the uh, little horses at like at, like the fairgrounds that you know like the kids yeah. ride in circle. One of them. <laughs> I went. I went to the individual. I said, "I said, everybody, move out the way." I said, "Do you have papers for this horse?" <laughs> yes, this is, this, is, this is my CNI horse. I said, "I said, have a great evening." I said, "I'll see y'all at six a.m." I, I walked out and I went home. I asked no questions. I did not care. I said, I said, I said he has papers for the horse. I will see y'all. In, I'll see y'all in a few hours. I'm, I'm going back to bed. A CNI horse. He was a CNI horse, and they showed me the Georgia papers for it. <laughs> yep, there was a pony in my in my Waffle House. <laughs> no pictures. Surely somebody took a picture of this. Somebody did, but I was just so brought down. I didn't care because I just I went home. I didn't take a picture. I wasn't. I didn't engage. I just wanted to come. They they called me. I went in there. They weren't lying. It was a horse in there. It was eating the waffle. You have papers, sir. Yes, I have papers. Everybody have a great evening. I'll see you guys in three hours. And I went back home to my bed. I was just too tired to you know to, to take a picture. And and it's we've. I've, I've had a unit right by the Atlanta Speedway, so a lot of NASCAR NASCAR drivers and their teams would come in there. All kinds of celebrities all the time, but I was so like neck deep in in in, in operation in terms of my job. None of that stuff really caught my attention. I I just my goal was to was make every day a little bit easier so I can get home because the job was so demanding. So looking back in retrospect, I wish I did take a picture with the horse. <laughs> But I was just so tired all the time and just trying to just just make it to the next day. It, it, it took a lot for something to really catch my attention for me to react. Because it was always something with Waffle House. What do you think it was when you first went to Waffle House for that first interview? When you're when there's a position that normally requires a degree, what was it that made them hire you for that instead of saying, nope, you got to start on you know, the, the line or, or something like that. Why do you, what do you think they saw in you to, uh, to think you were management material right off the bat? What they told me that they saw, um, is that I was the person who would lead by example. There was, I wasn't above doing anything. I, I was, I wanted to learn every position, whatever I can do to help my team, to lead my team. I want to be the best at it so I can lead by example. And normally that's, that's the code of Waffle House. I didn't know that, you know, I didn't study or like do research on Waffle House to see what they were looking for, but I'm, I've never been a person who's scared of hard work because physically I grew up on the farm. So whatever frontline work needs to get done, like I normally throw myself 
in the fire no matter what. So I think they saw that and they saw the willingness to learn, the willingness to get to get dirty literally and um, mentally, spiritually, and just really get in there and do whatever it takes to lead the team to 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 to, to be successful. Then they felt that they that they could mold that into a great um, unit manager and possibly do more in the future. Um, and to be honest, I was at that point in my life, I was so desperate. I walked five. I didn't have a car at that point. That was another thing. You had to have a vehicle to be a, to be a manager. Um, I walked five and a half miles in August heat to that unit, to that appointment. And I remember vividly when I walked those five and a half miles, there was a rally's uh, cheeseburger spot across the, if, if people that are familiar with Atlanta area is Terra Boulevard. Um, there was a rallies across from on the other side of Terra Boulevard. So I went in there and I knew I was going to be sweaty. So I brought a backpack and I had my interview clothes in it. So I went to that manager and I said, Hey, I got an interview across the street at Waffle House. Can I, can I um, change clothes in the bathroom? Um, he looked at me. He's like, he's like, go ahead, young man. So I went in and I changed clothes, cried while I changed clothes. It was a very humbling mm-hmm. experience. But like I said in the beginning, if I had to do it all over again, I would and I will gladly because it's helped made me and forged me into the man I am today. So I changed clothes, walked across the street, and I specifically um, asked to have my interview if I could do it at noon because I knew Terra Boulevard has bad traffic. So I did that so they couldn't see me come across the expressway for that job. They wouldn't, they wouldn't notice that I didn't pull up in the car because I didn't have one. And they didn't ask me that if I had, but they did ask about the car's degree. So um, they just saw that I wanted it, and then they said, "Okay, well, we're gonna give you a shot." So then they gave me a shot at one of the busiest waffle houses, and I and I did very well. I exceeded the expectations. How long before you got a car? Oh, about six months. You walked to work and to and from work for six months. So what happened was I had I lived in Riverdale, and they didn't they sent me to Virginia Avenue, which is right by the airport. So where I lived in Riverdale, I had to walk five miles the other direction to get to the first uh, MARTA bus. And then that bus would take me to Virginia Avenue to where I could make to that Waffle House. So the MARTA bus stop was right in front of the Waffle House. I would go to that after I got done working my, my shift and training, get back on that MARTA bus and then get all the way back down to the south side of Atlanta and then walk five miles back to my apartment in Riverdale. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, when you want something, you do what you got to do. And I knew that, again, this was a byproduct of decisions that I made in the past. So for me, I was paying my dues, and I and I have no issues with paying my dues. I have no issues with doing what I need to do and doing my part, whether it's self-inflicted or whether the moment or that time frame calls for it. Because there's, to me, there's so much dope opportunity within adversity. But we have the choice to choose. Do you want to to soak in it and be like, oh, woe is me? Or do you want to take advantage of the opportunity and find a way to get better and apply it to the next situation? And that's what I decided to do. And that's how I was able to, over time, because I started to get checks. And then I got a nice used vehicle. And then I, then I could drive in and move around and be more mobile to what the job demanded. But I had to be so on point to where I wouldn't draw any attention to myself that, Dang, he can't get to work. He was he's late today. Why is he late? Oh, he doesn't have a car. Oh. And since likability has a lot to do with it, the staff that I train with, they want me to stay there, even though Waffle House is gonna send me somewhere else. So they protected me. They never said, dang, he even got a car. They was like, Can we keep him? Mm. 
like he like he he works hard. So uh, it's it's all it's so much that goes into um, being whatever success looks like for you. It could be uh, whether these, these these tangible things or you know like ability how you treat people. You know all these different moving parts because you don't know outside of what we can and can't control what's moving in the background that may be moving in your favor or to put you in position to learn, to level up, to be, to improve. Devon, we've been on the phone for an hour and 20 minutes. It feels like five minutes. Uh, it's been it such does. a great conversation. <laughs> um, I certainly you. don't want to keep you from, from, from your, your work duties. I, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to share? Um, just uh, about your your story, Any, anything that um, that I haven't asked you about. Uh, well, first, man, I just want to tell you, man, I, I really appreciate it. It's been a long time coming out. I've always been a fan of yours, and I, I've been I've, I've been seeing you doing your thing for years because you cover so many so many individuals that I have personal relationships with. So I thank you for for um, for for taking the time, and I don't want to create too many extra gigabytes in this file. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, no, it, but, it's but unlimited. I, but, I have, <laughs> but yeah, but I have, I, I, I have a huge window, and I didn't. I made sure that I cleared my whole schedule for you, man. So whatever you need, so. I don't want you to feel like um, you know you, you have to be rushed off, but I um, I don't know, man. I, I think I think uh, again one thing that that I'm that I've always been very proud of is the fact that despite the circumstances and despite anything that I've been faced with, I've always chosen to look at the bright side of things, and I never let uh, my mindset never allowed me to be. Uh, a result of the circumstances or, or the things that, that that I saw in front of me, I always tried to find another way to make things work, and that comes from trial and error. You know, had a lot of failures. You know, dropped the ball on a lot of things, big and small. But throughout all those things, the mindset was always, "How can I improve? How can I get better?" Um, having to ask for help having to do all these different things, you know, giving back, pouring into people that I saw versus of myself in, and just like the people that helped me, Tavon, when you see somebody that needs help, you help them, just like I'm helping you. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just reciprocity and just staying humble throughout it all because anybody can can get to whatever goal they're, they're, they're trying to achieve, but the goal is to not just get it, but but sustainability to be able to stay there and then be able to open doors for other people. And that is the biggest thing about why I'm so humbled to serve in this position now, because I get to pour into people that psychologically and emotionally pour into me, whether they know it or not. And that is our youth. That is the future. Like I've had my time as a youth, but I get extreme gratification from working with so many like-minded and like-hearted people that pour into our youth from college students all the way down to middle school students because they are the future. So um, if anybody listening to this is in the Greenville area, please check out MomentumBikeClubs.org. It's a great organization. Um, And if you love riding on bikes, please reach out. And again, I don't think I said it earlier, it's a free program. It doesn't cost anything for our students. So if you have a bike or if you want to get on the bike, if you want to ride, come on and join us. And, um, and uh, if, if I don't see you on the trail, then I'll probably see you at a, at a, at a Clemson game near you. If I could ask you one more question, if you don't mind. Yeah, man. So yeah. in the spring and summer, I did a lot of interviews with former players, including some we've talked about, uh, Rod Gardner, Patrick Sapp, uh, others, mm-hmm. uh, just on sort of their, their sort of 
opinions on the state of college athletics right now, mainly mm-hmm. with NIL and, and, and the transfer portal. Do you have a, uh, do you have a position on, on, on where things are? And I think I alluded to some of, some of the concerns out there among folks, including Dabo, who are mm-hmm. worried about the academic part. Um, uh, what, what do you, what do you make of, of, of the, sort of the freer ability to transfer and also the, the fact that uh, players are now making money off of their, off of their names, images and likenesses. Yeah. So I think, I think that subject is, is still kind of taboo. And I feel like with anything that new is going to eventually balance out, I think right now is, 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 is like the wild, wild West to where, um, I mean, I'm a very logical type person mindset. So, um, there, there's pros and cons for a student, and they have to weigh the, I want to say consequences, but the pros and cons and of leaving one school and going to another, sitting out a year. And it's different for every person. They feel like that this is something that, that I need to do. Um, and, the, and the landscape of, of the ideology of going to a university, making that commitment and following through is, is, is different nowadays. There are a lot more options. There is more freedom nowadays. And um, I don't have a race in that horse, but just on the outside looking in, logistically, um, you can't buy a national championship. So for anybody that, you know, over a period of time, I understand with the NIL and, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of conversations about, you know, quote unquote, buying players. But that doesn't guarantee success. And that player can still decide to go somewhere else. You can't bind that player to stay at a certain uh, a certain uh, institution. So in the long run, there's going to be pretty sure it's going to be more literature or there's more of a of a guideline of what the NIL looked like or what the transfer portal looked like. And a lot of people who are uh, quote unquote paying for these players to go to certain colleges, if it's not going to get the results that they think in terms of accolades or championships, then they're going to start spending that money. So it's going to eventually just kind of, in my ideology, just balance out. But um, again, just like with anything, it has the pros and cons. Um, and I'm thankful that students have the opportunity to um, to have some kind of financial support with their with their name, image, and likeness. Um, but I also think that is also an opportunity, even more so than ever, of having um, some kind of financial literacy for these young men and young women to learn how to take advantage of these finances at such a young age. You know, yeah. and, and and dealing with all of these different things, like we didn't have. I, I thank God that we did not have social media whenever I played. <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's not something I wish on anybody. But the fact that that these young men and young women have so many different options and so many different things, like like we could go to the movies and not worry about worry about somebody taking a picture of us and posting it online. Like, I can't imagine what that feels like, you know, being the face of something or being a part of something that's so big and don't have that, don't have that privacy or have to always keep in your mind that when, when I go outside today, I have to make sure that there's not this perception of me, even though I like to drink Coke. So if somebody see me drinking Coke and if I don't perform good this weekend, are they going to blame me or my coaching staff that I'm not in good condition because they saw me drinking the Coke, like that's weird pressure, you know? Yeah. So 
Um, but overall, to, 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 uh, to answer your question again, I don't have a dog in the fight. I just hope that I think that it's going to balance out, it's going to level out eventually. And I just hope that there are more guidelines and parameters in place for this to be a better well-oiled engine because the way things are going right now, it's not it's not going to continue this way because there's not sustainability in it. And um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just not sustainable. I just feel like it, it was rushed and it wasn't fully thought out before it was presented as options for our young athletes. Tavon, what a story of determination, perseverance, and of, and of service to your community. Really appreciate you sharing and uh, appreciate your presence here in the upstate, helping make it a better place. Man, thank you so much. Again, it's very humbling. It's very good to, to be back home. And, you know, we got a whole lot of work to do. So I just, I just want to continue to 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 connect with people that's doing the same work who's been doing the work in the upstate way before I came in 2020. And we're going to keep, we're going to keep this thing growing, man. And um, I just I just really appreciate you. All right. Really uplifting and impressive stuff there from from Tavon Montz. I uh, appreciate him taking time out of his day to share with us also appreciate our very loyal sponsors for being a part of this and then of course most of all thanks to every one of you for hitting play really appreciate it cheers